as we were praying on Friday as elders, I had this picture that I shared with the guys just uh, of hardened hearts that had been calloused. And because the, heart, the, heart, the hardness of the heart stopped the lifeblood flowing to all of the body. And I felt God say that he's bringing a heart of flesh to this church. To every single person, that what has been hardened and calloused is becoming increasingly soft. And as the heart, the, the, the hard heart becomes soft, so the lifeblood of the Spirit can get to every part of the body. And so, Father, I pray for that. I pray for every single man and woman, the children upstairs. I pray, Lord, for the Spirit to come, soften hearts, that your blood can flow and life can come to your body. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to look uh, this morning at the gifts of the Spirit, and um, the context of what I want to speak about this morning obviously is in the context of what we've been studying out of Ephesians, and for those of you that are visiting and haven't been around for last while, the first three chapters of Ephesians are a great theological, uh, doctrinal, rich deposit that Paul brings. And what he does, he just talks about the greatness of the salvation that God has blessed us with in Christ. And that the mystery that all things are going to be brought together under Christ, who is the head, at the end of time, and that's the whole thrust of the first three chapters, this amazing salvation, how the church fits into that, the mystery of the Gentiles being brought into the church. I'm sorry, Callum, this is kind of bringing it, but can you just sort it out? Thanks. Um, the mystery of the church, that the Gentiles who once were alienated from God can now be brought in to this body, this new church, the new Israel. And then there's a marked change in chapter 4 where he starts to be a whole lot more practical. And he says, in the light of that great salvation, in the light of this wonder, this, this, uh, this amazing grace that we have received, he starts talking in chapter 4 about gifts that have been given to the church. And then he starts in, in, in the later chapters, he talks about how we should live in a practical way and how we should honor each other in the body. And, and so that's kind of the point that we've got to. And so what I want to talk about in terms of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is in the light of what we chatted about last week, that God gives gifts of men. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Five preaching gifts. The apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, and the pastor teacher. Those are all preaching gifts that are given to the church. And they look a little bit different from each other. And no one is packaged quite the same way. But those gifts are given to the church to build up the church. The whole body of Christ. That the whole body of Christ can come to a place of maturity and, and strength. And uh, be what God intended it to be. And so that's where we are. And so I said a couple of weeks ago, let's look at who the Holy Spirit is. And so we looked at who the, the person of, of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to have a look at some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church, all in the context of the gospel, all in the context of this great salvation that we've received. And now Jesus leaves his Spirit on the, on the earth, and the Spirit gives gifts to us in order that the church can be built up and grow to maturity. All right? And so last week, we looked at uh, John fourteen sixteen, which said... I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. And we talked about the mystery of the Trinity that John unpacks in John chapter 1, and He shows the Father and the Son, and how from the beginning of time before eternity, the, Son, the Word of God was, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we looked at that. And then we skipped out to John fourteen sixteen, where Jesus says to His disciples when He's about to leave them, He says, I want to leave with you. I'm sending another helper. Just like me, someone who will also comfort you and bring, bring you into truth and walk with you and has your best interests at heart, and he calls that someone the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit is not ever going to leave you. He's going to be with you forever. Isn't that amazing? And so we have this, pre the, the, this um, privilege of walking with the Holy Spirit, and as Mike Leeton said, as we walk with the Spirit deliberately, we fulfill all sorts of things. We fulfill the law. We fulfill uh, those things that uh, were written down on the tablets by Moses. We, we fulfill them accidentally, just as we love Jesus and walk by the Spirit. Amen? And so that's the context of what I would like to explore this morning. And um, I asked a question last week. Uh, do we honor the Holy Spirit by recognizing who He is and recognizing the work that He does? Or do we ignore Him and His work 
and by doing so, dishonor him, and not only him, but the Father who sent him? And that's a question that only we can answer for ourselves. And I just trust, together with you as we journey forward as a church this year, that it would be increasingly a journey that would honor the Holy Spirit, would honor his presence, would honor his work in our, in our lives, would honor his work in the church. Only he can restore marriages. <laughs> only he can save people. Only he can bring revelation. We, we can do our best with the gifts that we have, but at the end of the day, only the Holy Spirit can bring life. Only the Holy Spirit can bring revelation. Only the Holy Spirit can take hearts that are hard and make them soft. Only he can do that. And I want to encourage you as we reach out into the community this year, as we trust God for growth and people to be saved, that we don't put our, our, um, our uh, confidence in our cleverness or in our programs as much as we want to have good material, not in our programs, in our cleverness, but ultimately at the end of the day, our trust is completely in what the Holy Spirit can do. As we try and reach out to the world, that we are those that are rooted in this truth, that actually the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in people's lives. And that takes anxiety out of us as we simply trust Him. We do what we can do, and we trust the Holy Spirit to do what He can do. Amen? All right, so let's have a look at Romans chapter 12 with all of that in mind. And there's an amazing portion, uh, verse 3. I'm going to read from verse 3 to verse 8, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul writing to the Roman church, he says this, For by the grace given to me, that's always about the grace of God, isn't it? By the grace of God, this amazing gift that has been given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but rather to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, so let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching and the one who encourages or exhorts in his encouragement, the one who contributes in generosity and the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts and does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amazing portion, this little portion in Romans. And so... Paul is talking quite specifically about gifts here. And so I want to frame that little paragraph with this question to you. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gives you a buzz? What is it about you that other people, that is a natural thing for you, that other people comment on and say, that is an amazing thing. You do that so easily. Uh, that's difficult for me, but for you that seems to be so easy. Uh, it's something natural to you. It's something instinctive. And that should give you a clue to what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12. Because what Paul is talking about is what we call motivational gifts. Okay, that's the theological word for it. Motivational gifts. They are gifts that move you to action. All right? They are rooted, we are rooted in Christ, we are rooted in the gospel, and uh, His grace has done amazing things in us. And as God changes us from the inside out, He says also that He begins to change our desires. And when you get saved, you don't have the same desires as what you used to. There's a change. And as you, as you uh, walk by the Spirit and God transforms you, suddenly things that were important to you in the past are no longer important to you now. And your future aspiration, what you're aiming at, changes when you get saved. You live differently because God has changed you. And what was dead is now alive. And so the way you see the world changes completely. So we, have a new, we are new people in Christ because of the gospel, and we also have a new motivation in terms of how we live and what we want to aim at, and that comes as the Spirit transforms us. So Paul says this, he says that each one of us, every single one sitting here this morning, has been given a measure of grace. A measure of grace. And according to that measure of grace, gifts. All right? All of us are different. All of us have different gifts, and aren't you glad about that? 
Absolutely. Imagine how monochromatic it would be if everyone was the same, with the same kind of gifts. No, God is multi-layered, multi-faceted. He, he's got a, a plethora of gifts for us to enjoy. Amen? So what does Paul say in this portion? He says, all of you have different gifts. They're all different from each other. And he says that as we recognize what those gifts are, don't become arrogant about them. That's what he says. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't look down on anyone else because their gift is not the same as yours. That's what he's saying. What we should remember all the time is that we are rooted in this gospel and this gospel of grace that has come to us has brought us into liberty and into a sense of freedom and that's the heart with which we should handle the gifts that God has given us. They're not ours. They are grace gifts. We have done nothing to deserve them. God has just lavished them upon our lives and said, I choose you, Petri, and I give you this. I choose you, Tox, and I give you this. And Petri and Tox are different. And the measure of grace upon their lives is different, and that is for us to enjoy as a church so that the whole church can be built up through the differences of these giftings. Amen. And Paul has already rooted us in the fact that we are one in Christ. Remember, I preached about that, about the unity that we enjoy and that Christ has has birthed unity and He's created unity, and all we have to do is maintain what He's already created. Amen. And now he's talking about how there's difference in the church and how we can enjoy that difference. And so the phrases that he uses in that portion, different measures of faith and different measures of grace. And even in one kind of gifting, God gives different capacities and anointing uh, for those different functions. And so there might be two people that are called by God with the same motivational gift. For example, to lead or to serve or to prophesy. And within that gift, they're going to have different capacities. They're going to be people that are more gifted than others, even though they're called to do the same thing. And God wants it that way. And what he's saying is, most importantly, what Paul is saying is, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, because if you do, there'll be a sense of superiority and you will look down on others. And you'll say they have less value than me because they're not as gifted as me. And what Paul is trying to remind us and saying, every gift that you have is a gift of grace. You've done nothing to deserve it. Can I pick on someone here? And this is just a physical thing. I will never, ever could have been a prop in a rugby team. Like Corvus, who's made his living from that. Why? My gift is not physical bigness. I just, I'm just not that. I could try my hardest. I could train every day at the gym. I would just not be that thing. I would just get blown out of the park. I just got to be comfortable with that. Amen. It's not my gift, but I can enjoy someone else's gift and say, oh, isn't that great? And on Friday, I didn't know who to support because Brent Russell was playing for the one team. For those of you who don't know, Brent, he was part of this church. He played for Clermont Auvergne on Friday night. And the other bunch of guys that I know play for Saracens. So what do you do? You just enjoy all of their gifts. And you say, well done. You all played well. So, Paul mentions some of these motivational gifts, and he says they are prophecy, they are service, they are teaching, they are encouragement, giving, leadership, and acts of mercy. And it's interesting to me that often people choose their careers around their natural motivational gift. They do it naturally. So, for example, those that have a gift of mercy, what what do they end up being? Nurses and doctors and physiotherapists. Why? Because there's, there's a motivational gift that God has blessed them with. That's their gift. And those who have a, a gift of service, where do they end up? In the hospitality industry. So they are serving in hotels and they're serving in restaurants. and they do, It's their natural gift. It's a motivational gift that God has given them. And so Paul is writing in this passage and he's saying there's this wonderful uniqueness that God has given within the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can, Christ can come to glory. And so some people might say in the church, oh, we, you know, we need more evangelism. And that's great. We do need more evangelism. Or and it's, it's, it's a thing that excites them. Or someone else will come and say, we need more teaching. We need some good, solid teaching. And they're absolutely right. We do need good, solid teaching. Or someone else can come and say, we need to care more for the poor. We must have a heart for the poor. And I say amen to all of that. 
that is all completely true and right. Is one right and the other wrong? No, they are all right, and that's what God is, how God has planned it for His body to start working together. Each motivational gift is absolutely crucial, it's absolutely vital, it's absolutely important. And Paul says, they're not of our making. They are the gifts that God lavishes upon His church so that the church can be built up and the kingdom can come. And he simply acknowledges that God has blessed us with these things. And so let's get on as the body of Christ and unpack those things in our lives and trust God to grow them so that we can fulfill what He's called us to be and see the church grow. Not just this local church, that church grow into the fullness of all the fullness of God. The other little simple thing I just want to say out of that portion is that for me as I was reading this week and just preparing it, it's, it's amazing that Paul, the most important thing for him is the attitude with which you use your gift. The way that the gift is administered, that's what he really majors on. So he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, if you prophesy, do so in proportion to your faith. So in other words, don't go prophesying things that you don't have faith for, just because it sounds good. He says, no, no, unless you have faith, unless God has given you faith to prophesy that thing, don't speak it, all right? So he's saying the attitude with which you prophesy is very important. And he says, uh, if you serve, then how you serve is important, yeah? He says, uh, if your gift is generosity, and you're not talking about faithful giving now, there are some people that are just blessed extraordinarily with the ability to make wealth and to bless other things. He's saying, if you are, if that is your gift, if you have that entrepreneurial gift where you can just do amazing things with money, then be generous. Generous. And he says, if it's leadership, be zealous in how you lead. I've learned this. There's nothing worse than a leader that's not zealous. Leader might not always be right, might get a lot of stuff wrong, but if there's no zeal, if there's no, this is where we're going, what kind of leadership is that? No one wants to follow someone who doesn't have zeal. And yes, we follow Christ. And he's the great shepherd. He's the great prophet. He's the great evangelist. He's the great teacher. But there are gifts on earth that God gives to help his church grow. Are you with me? And then he says, if your gift is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Man, that's a challenge, eh? That's a challenge to be cheerful in mercy. <laughs> in Showing acts of mercy. So my question to you this morning, every single one of you, and I'm thinking to myself, what is the thing that God has gifted you with? What is the thing that motivates you? What is the thing I said at the beginning? What is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? Are you a great encourager? There are some people that I like to be with because whenever I'm with them, I feel encouraged. I feel strengthened. I feel like I can face the future when I'm with those pers- that, that particular person or those people. If you are an encourager, I want to encourage you to do it with all of your heart. Just in, there's so many people who need their eyes lifted at this time and their heart lifted up. Amen? We can encourage each other as a church. So let's do that. And if you're called to lead in business or lead wherever, I want to encourage you this morning, whatever your sphere of influence, do it with conviction, do it with passion, do it with a focus, do it as unto God. Amen? And then if you are, God has called you to Lay down your life and serve others and be someone who's uh, motivated by acts of mercy. Can I just say this, that don't think you've got the short straw. Yeah? (laughs) Because sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? To be pouring yourself out all the time. And what is Paul? He uses this word. He says, cheerfully. And that is like, that speaks of deep joy. When you are cheerful about something, there's there's a restedness in your spirit and you, you're feeling relaxed about it, and there's a cheerfulness in you. And so Paul says, if, if you're going to be someone who's serving others, do it cheerfully. If you're giving yourself away in acts of mercy, do it cheerfully. Amen? All right. So this is the first thing. The Holy Spirit gives us these motivational gifts, things that are just part of who we are, grace gifts to us. But then the Bible also speaks in 1 Corinthians 12. Please go there, 1 Corinthians 12. Because the Bible doesn't leave it there. And I obviously can't do everything in one Sunday. No ways. But I just want to give you a little taster this morning. The second thing that the Bible talks about is manifestational gifts. 
Okay? And we're going to read about those in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, he's saying there are manifestational gifts that are given for the common good of the church. For to one is given by the Spirit an utterance of wisdom or a word of wisdom, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, so now this is slightly different. It's not motivational gifts. Paul is saying there's, um, they, are, they are manifestational gifts. And uh, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he emphasizes right at the beginning that these gifts are given to the church for the common good of the church. And it's interesting that God uses individuals to minister to his church, and it's always for the building up of others. Always. Always for the common good. Christianity is about giving yourself away. It's about loving others. It's about living for others. It's about giving for others. It's implicitly giving yourself away. Because that's what Jesus did. God so loved the world that he came and he gave his son. And Jesus gave himself to those that were poor and wretched and blind. And as he gave himself away, the life of God came. And we are called to do the same. Always living for others. So when I spoke about the passage just now out of Romans, that motivational gift is something that we carry with us all the time. It's part of who we are, to encourage others, to teach, to lead, to prophesy, whatever. Um, but here... The gifts that Paul is speaking about here are for a specific time and a specific place. And so, it's a gift that operates as the Spirit gives something to someone in a specific time and place in accordance with our faith, and these things are called manifestational gifts, and God is manifesting His power specifically to bless people in in different contexts and different situations. All right? So, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Some will have a word of wisdom. Someone will have a word of prophecy. Someone will have a word of knowledge. Someone will have a word of faith. Someone will have a gift of healing so that someone can be prayed for and and healing can come. Or prophecy and tongues, interpretation of tongues. And so in in chapter 14 of of, of, um, Corinthians, Paul goes on to encourage the church and he says, eagerly desire these gifts. And then he says, especially desire the gift of prophecy because that's what builds and blesses the body of Christ. And that's why the New Testament encourages us. It says every time you get together, someone should have a hymn or song or speak to each other in hymns and spiritual songs. Why? So that the body can be built up. And it's a mandate that we are all, we are all called to be expectant in. The whole body of Christ, not just those that are preaching or leading, but all of us as ministers, as priests, that every time we are in a home group situation or having someone around to dinner, that we're trusting God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's going to give something to us to give away to somebody else. And it might be a word of knowledge or a word of encouragement or to pray for them for healing. And it's given by the Spirit. It's a manifestation of the Spirit for a specific time and place. Are you with me? So, my question to you this morning is simply this. How, well, maybe I should put it this way. Every time we get together, surely we should be asking this question. Lord, how do you want to manifest your power through me this morning? I want to make myself available. What do you want me to do? How can I give what you've given me? How can I give it away to someone this morning? Can I pray for someone? Can I prophesy over someone? What, what, what is the word you have for Zach? Can I, can, I, can I go and, Lord, give me something? And we're trusting that there's a manifest gift going to be given to us to bless somebody else. Amen? We're all priests. We're all ministers. So I've got a simple illustration for you, if you again using that uh, physiotherapist illustration. I've discovered this as you get older, that your body starts having aches and pains, all right? And sometimes you can have a pain in your back, and uh, it's not always caused by your back, gentlemen. Sometimes the, the, the pain in your back is caused because your stomach muscles are not getting much exercise. Isn't that true? That's true, Martin, isn't it? And so you can go to the physio and you say, oh, I've got a pain in my back. 
please help me, please help me. And they give you various exercises, and then you have to do sit-ups, and you have to do different things. And, uh, my point is this, is that sometimes when one part of the body is not exercising properly, it affects another part of the body. Isn't that right? And so Paul says, for the body to work well, the body of Christ to work well, every single gift must be exercised. And so if we are withholding our gifts and saying, well, I don't really want to exercise my gifts this morning, I don't feel like it or whatever, I don't feel inspired, what begins to happen is that other parts of the body overcompensate, for example, and then pain comes. But for the body to function perfectly and to its best, and so that the whole body goes forward with power and with endurance, what does it need? It needs every single gift to be exercised. And so whether you feel like your gift is like a little finger, it doesn't matter. Exercise your gift so that the whole body can be strengthened. Amen. And Paul says, don't, don't worry if you feel like, a, you know, the eye doesn't say to the ear, I don't need you. Of course we need each other. Every single gift. So, what has God gifted you to do so that you can help the body grow and become more effective? what God has called us to be. So I want to just look at three of those gifts this morning. Can't look at all of them. I'm not going to look at prophecy. I want to recommend that if you didn't, uh, couldn't make the Greg Haslam um, sessions on prophecy, go onto the podcast and have a listen to those. They were outstanding, very good um, teaching around prophecy. I'm going to look at um, a couple of others this morning, these manifestational gifts. The first one is the word of knowledge, all right? And how do we define the word of knowledge? It's simply the word for, from God for a particular time or season, for a particular person or group of people, for a particular need. That's what a word of knowledge is. So, for example, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. You can go and read for yourself at home. John 4, verse 18 to 29. It's the story of the woman at the well, and you know it well. She's a, a woman at the well that Jesus meets, and uh, Jesus kind of strikes up a conversation for, for, with her, and he, had a, he has a word of knowledge, and he says to her, where's your husband? Yeah, actually, in fact, you don't. You've had many husbands. And he goes on to unlock the whole thing in her life. And the whole conversation erupts and preaches the gospel. And as a result of this, the woman goes away saying to her friends, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. That's a word of knowledge. It's a specific thing that God gives in a specific situation to unlock something for somebody else. Word of knowledge, all right? Or Acts 5, the first 11 chapters of Acts 5. What about um, Peter? He has a word about Ananias and Sapphira. And as you know, they, they are, Barnabas has taken a piece of land and he's sold it and he's been generous with the money. And they're pretending to be more generous than they are. Than they are. And God shows Peter exactly that what has happened. And what happens? They're struck dead. <laughs> they're struck dead. Wouldn't that, how, I was just thinking, I was, I, I, I was preparing this. How would that go down in, in our modern world? Person struck dead in church meeting. Preacher held liable for manslaughter. I don't know. What, what would it be? <laughs> I've got a friend, Finney, I think I've said this before, Finney did the senior. He, he, he said that we should print T-shirts saying, I survived the offering. <laughs> so my point is simply this. God uses the word of knowledge in many ways and for his purposes. Some of them are to establish and confirm a call of God on our lives Sometimes people wear masks and God can give us a, a word of knowledge just to unlock something and help them. Uh, or evangelism, a word of knowledge to break open something so people can be saved. Definitely brings a reverent fear for God when there's a word of knowledge and everyone knows that's God speaking. Like God is in the house. There's an honoring of him. It brings a revelation of who Jesus is, that Jesus becomes larger in people's hearts and minds. That's a word of knowledge. And then secondly, Paul talks about a word of wisdom. And simply that's a supernatural ability that the Spirit gives to bring insight and counsel in a given situation, specific uh, understanding when it's required. It's the kind of ah, moment. It's like the, the lights go on kind of moment in a supernatural way, all right? But I just want to say this, that there's a difference between biblical wisdom and this gift of wisdom that I'm talking about. Okay? Biblical wisdom, it simply comes from our relationship with God. As we walk with God, as we grow in maturity, as we come to know Christ better, as we 
understand his word and we study his word and the spirit brings revelation to us, we get wisdom, biblical wisdom. That doesn't mean we necessarily are going to operate in the gift of wisdom. It doesn't mean that if we have biblical wisdom, we have wisdom in all areas. A gift of wisdom, we have great wisdom in all areas. It's a, it's a specific gift for a specific situation. What I'm trying to say is that a spiritual gift and spiritual maturity are not necessarily the same thing. That God gives gifts without repentance, gives gifts to people, but our walk with Him and our growing in maturity comes as we discover more of His Word. But there is a gift of wisdom. and Here are some examples that I want to give you. In Genesis 41, wonderful example of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph well. And he has this great gift where he has dreams. And these dreams speak of the future and speak of what God is going to do. But at the same time, he has this amazing gift of wisdom because he knows what to do and how to implement the dream. Right? And if you read Joseph's story, that's the story of his life. These amazing revelations from God. And yet at the same time, God gives him the gift of wisdom where he knows what to do with what the dream that God has given. And it brings liberty and freedom. And eventually, the whole nation of Egypt is blessed because of Joseph's gift. But what about 1 Kings 3? Verse 16, uh, I was fascinated as a child by the story because this is a story of two prostitutes, right? And uh, one of the, one of, they both have a child, both have a baby, and uh, <clears throat> one of the babies dies, and then two prostitutes are fighting about whose baby is still alive. They're having this big fight. And so they go to uh, the king, Solomon, and uh, they're saying, one saying, this is my baby. The other one saying, this is not my baby. And there's this big fight. And so what does Solomon do? He has a word of, absolute word of wisdom. <laughs> he says, give me a sword. I mean, how would this go down in our culture, right? <laughs> he says, give me a sword. Into the maternity ward, he walks with the sword. Draws his sword. He says, I'm just going to chop the baby in half. And you take one half, and you take the other. And what happens? One, one is baby, and he says, please, sir, don't do that. Let the child live. And he says, this is your child. Amazing. How many of us would think of doing that? <laughs> I mean, that must, that's got to be a wisdom, a, a gift of wisdom. Amen? You don't, okay. No, it's not politically correct. You know, the Bible is not politically correct about many things, right? And what about Genesis 6, 14, where Noah is just told to build an ark, and he hasn't got an, I mean, he's a farmer. He's never built a boat in his life, and he has supernatural wisdom how to build a boat. Go read it for yourself. Uh, Genesis 6, 14. Or Acts 27, I just wanted to unpack this one a little bit. Acts 27, verse 21, about what about Paul? On the, as he's journeying by, by boat and with the story of the, 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 the shipwreck. You can read it with me if you like. Acts 27, verse 9, time, much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. And Paul advised him saying, sir, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury, with much loss, not only for the cargo and the ship, but also by our lives. He has a word of knowledge, Paul. He says, hey, this is not going well. We're going to die if we carry on in this voyage. And then it carries on, verse 21. Um, he has another word of knowledge. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up amongst them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. We shouldn't have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life amongst you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel stood before me uh, from God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar Behold, God has granted you all those for all those that sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that will be exactly as I've been told. Isn't that beautiful? So here's another word of knowledge. He says, ah, it's fine. God's told me it's all going to be right. The ship's going to go down, but all of us are going to be fine. And then he has a word of wisdom later in verse 34, which we won't read now. But how does God use the word of wisdom in our lives? Well, Sometimes there are nation, national issues that uh, are concerning us and concerning the church, and, so, and God will bring a, uh, a word of wisdom that will cut right to the heart of that and bring liberty and freedom, just like he did with Joseph. Or to make right decisions and righteous judgments, just like he did with Solomon. Or his divine plan and strategy for a local church. Or for understanding any given situation, God can bring a word of wisdom. Or as we've read now, even in terms of the story with Paul, it's practical things that can even save lives. Paul can use the word of wisdom. God can use the word of wisdom and give us the word of wisdom just for that. Bringing God's counsel, bringing God's perspective, giving God's perspective in a situation. All right, you still with me? Good. And the last one I want to talk about this morning is the discerning of spirits. 
And again, we can define it very simply. Discerning of spirits is just a supernatural ability to discern what spirit is motivating someone to do something. People can be motivated either from their soul or by God or sometimes from the devil, <laughs> unfortunately. Those three sometimes are very hard. You've got to kind of say, well, where's this coming from? And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that, to discern what is the source of someone's emotional or spiritual state. And sometimes people are motivated by rejection or fear or brokenness or manipulation or control. They can be motivated by any of those things. The point is, if we don't allow God to change us by the Spirit, if we don't allow repentance when God is speaking, and we harden our hearts, then those things can become strongholds in our lives, and they can become a problem. But God can help us to understand what is motivating someone to bring freedom for that person and to bring them into liberty, freedom from bondage. And so simply, sometimes God shows us something so we can pray for someone else. Not that we can go around and say, ah, God told me you've got a spirit of manipulation. Ah, you, you're broken. Surely not. The gift is given for the common good, for the building up of the body, so that we can pray, say, God, please, if that is so, let me, let, let me pray that your spirit will come and set this person free. Amen? That's what it's given for. So we pray, we intercede out of place of prayer. So uh, just some examples for you. Matthew 16, 15. I found this, this story amazing because Peter has this amazing revelation of Christ as the Messiah. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, man, you are so blessed that revelation came to you not by your own understanding, but by the Spirit of God. And I'm going to build my church upon, upon you, uh, upon that, that revelation of Christ. And uh, it's just like Peter has this moment. It's like God, Jesus just affirms him. And then Jesus begins to speak of his death. And Peter reacts and says, no, 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 surely God, that, that, that can't be Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes him. He just says, that's from the devil. That what you've just spoken is inspired by the evil one. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's like so close together, those two situations. Absolute revelation from God. And Jesus affirms and says, Peter, that is absolutely right and true and beautiful. What you've said revealed to you by the Spirit of God. And that thing, that's from the devil. That's a illustration of what I'm trying to say. Or Acts 8. I love the book of Acts. It's full of the, these stories of the kingdom of darkness being invaded by the kingdom of light. In Acts 8.23, Peter's speaking to Simon the magician, and he rebukes him as being from the devil. He has an absolute word. You are from the devil. Acts 13.9, same thing. We read of uh, Elymas, the magician, who tries to hinder the preaching of the gospel, and Paul speaks over him, and what happens? He's struck blind. I was just thinking, like I said before, now, I was just thinking this week as I was preparing, what if this kind of power was manifest today? I mean, in the church. Another headline. Person struck blind at Forest Town Church. Person cursed, not cursed, but challenged. And blindness, I mean, what would the, what would the community do? <laughs> huh? When we, it's like, it, it's amazing to think this is how... In the book of Acts, we always say we want to get back to the book of Acts. That's the kind of power that was seen in the book of Acts. The kingdom of darkness was taken on, and Paul spoke boldly. And the magician struck blind. Or what about Acts 16, verse 16, where there's a girl that's got a, says she has a spirit of divination where she can tell the future. And Paul rebukes her. Like, we, we are so politically correct, aren't we? I'm speaking to myself. Perhaps we're all just a little, we, we as Christians, we are just too nervous. And this is power. This is like taking on, saying, actually, no, what you're doing is from the devil. And it's like, how politically correct is that? Okay. So we have motivational gifts that are with us all the time, that are part of who we are. And then at the same time, we need to trust for manifestational gifts of the Spirit. Every time we gather, as we walk our lives, day to day, as we're in the office, as we're at home, at the university, wherever we are, we're saying, God, please give me something that I can give away this morning. That's going to be a demonstration of your power. Amen? 
both motivational and manifestational. And lastly, we talked last week, and I just want to conclude with this this morning. There are ministry gifts that Paul then speaks about in Ephesians 4. And my point is simply this, is as we have the, this um, motivation in our lives, as we trust God for the specific, as we trust God for his power every time we get together, at the same time, we are all called to cooperate with ministry gifts. And Paul says in Ephesians 4 what they are. And I said at the beginning, they are preaching gifts. We are called to cooperate as a body of Christ with, mini, with ministry gifts. They are the preaching gifts of the apostle, prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, pastor. And again, I want to encourage you to go and listen to what I preached last week, where I dealt with it much more completely. A point that to, to start this morning is, I want to just emphasize this, that Jesus is the fullness of these five gifts, right? Jesus is the apostle. We know that from Hebrews 3 verse 1. Jesus is the prophet. We know that from Luke 24, 19. He is the evangelist. We know that from Mark 1, 15. He is the pastor, John 10, 14. He is the teacher, Matthew 7, 28. He's all of those things of our faith. He's the pastor, teacher, evangelist, etc. All of those things were included in the person of Jesus in a profound way, all right? As he lived and worked uh, amongst us, walked amongst us. But the point is Ephesians 4, God gives specific ministry gifts, gifts of men. who have something of those giftings in their lives. And through their ministry, we can experience something of the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus as he comes and builds his church. So I want to just say this. Those gifts, how do they work together? They're all gifts that are called to serve the church. And they're worked out in different ways, different clusters of gifts, if you like different measures upon different people, that diverse gifts given to manifest the power of Jesus. And they are not mutually independent. They are mutually dependent on each other. And I've heard this illustration before, and I just want to use it again this morning. Perhaps you've heard it before. But the pointing finger, the five, the five uh, fingers of your hand, the pointing finger is a good finger to illustrate the prophet, the prophetic. Because while it looks to the future, it points to the future, it uh, Prophetic words are directional. They build hope. They point us towards something that we're still not seeing or still not living in. They point us forward. Uh, they take us beyond what we are living in now to what God wants to take us to, what is coming. And so prophets point the way ahead. They give the church insight. They give the church foresight. Where are we going? And sometimes they can look and say, well, with hindsight, we can see that that, had, that shouldn't have happened or that should have happened. So the prophetic gift is there to encourage and guide in a supernatural way, yeah? In a supernatural way that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so that's the pointing finger, the prophetic finger, right? I said last week that often the prophetic preaching gift is alongside the apostolic gift, that the, the, the one that is called to build foundations, breaks and opens, sometimes there's a prophetic gift that works alongside that person to bring something of the future destiny that, that God has for, this, for, the, for that person in his church, all right? What about the middle finger? The middle finger is the, is the longest. That uh, refers to the evangelist. Why? Because the evangelist is always trying to take the word of God and break into the community and take the, the community of, 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 of God in, out beyond church walls into the streets. And the, he's equipping others to do the same. So the evangelist equips the gospel and declares the gospel in others and um, his words, his actions. The, often in the Bible you'll see evangelists Signs and wonders follow evangelists as they preach the word. And you can have a look at Mark 16, if you'd like to, or Acts chapter 8, verse 4, where we see examples of that happening. So we have the prophetic, this finger. We have the evangelist, this finger. And then we have this finger, which is the wedding finger, the marriage finger. And uh, the marriage finger, is, a, is, a, is the ring is a sign of covenant, isn't it, between a husband and a wife. And um, a husband and wife should commit to each other to want the best interest of that person and to see the future of that person um, come into being. And for me, that's the best finger to represent the pastor. And I said last week that the pastor-teacher sometimes go together, uh, but the pastor should be someone who's committed to seeing the body of Christ built up. The body of Christ reaches full potential. The body of Christ, the gifts of the body of Christ to emerge, to see people cared for and fed. So just as a dad does in his own family, just as a husband does with his own children and his wife, where he has a preferred future that he wants to see for them, 
So a pastor should be someone who has the same in mind for the church, in the same way. So he wants new converts to be disciples, to be rooted and grounded in Christ, to grow up into full maturity so the whole body can grow up into maturity. All right? Pastor, teacher. I'm just going to split it for the sake of the illustration, but the teacher is like the little finger, right? The little finger. And um, it's interesting, I was reading this book this week, and they said that samurai swordsmen, Japanese swordsmen, know that the most powerful finger for gripping the sword is which one? The little pinky. I didn't know that. The most powerful finger that you have to grip something is with your little pinky. I thought it was quite amazing. It doesn't, you wouldn't think that, would you? Some of the other fingers are more important, but actually the pinky is the one that grasps the sword most strongly. And so it's a very wonderful illustration because pastors and teachers have a special gift. They have special influence on people's lives because by the gift that's on their life, they should be able to make clear the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what does Hebrews 4.12 say? It's like, sharp, two-edged sword that cuts to the very heart of the matter. That's what a pastor and a teacher, the gift that is upon them, that's what should happen. That through the gift that they have, the body of Christ is matured, it's guarded, it's protected, new convents are, are, are brought into an understanding of the gospel, biblical counseling is given, and so over a period of time, a healthy, strong, well-established, growing church happens and is established. Amen? And then lastly, the thumb, that represents the apostle. And uh, the apostle, the, the, this is often called the father finger. I didn't know that, but actually it, it does. Uh, different cultures, it's called the finger, the thumb, it's called the father finger. And uh, often works in combination with other fingers to grasp something or to write something or to throw something. I mean, the thumb is very important, all right? And uh, so for me, it speaks very clearly that the apostolic ministry works with the others. Not better than the others, it just works with the others to fulfill what God has for the body. Often it works with the evangelist or the prophet or the teacher pastor. And, uh, it's this wonderful combination where the, the thumb can touch all of the others and bring blessing and bring the church to maturity. Right? The apostolic ministry is to partner with other ministries. And so in Acts, um, you see Paul and other apostles traveling, and this I found interesting. They have various teams that go with them, and uh, there's a great number of people that are mentioned that traveled with Paul. Great number. Different, of com different combinations of people for different situations, and there are men and women. So there we have these apostolic bands, these groups of men and women that are gifted in different ways with other giftings, and they work together with Paul or Barnabas or Silas or, or any one of the other apostles, and together they're like a marauding tribe, and they go around and they establish a beachhead for the kingdom. And then they go somewhere else and they establish a beachhead for the kingdom. It's very exciting. It means that we can all be part of it. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't matter what your gift is, just because you're not an apostle, it doesn't mean you can't be part of being a blessing and breaking something open. We all need each other. Amen? all need each other. So, I want to conclude by saying this. Those five ministries, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, teacher, evangelist, they all work together. They all cooperate with each other. And they form the healing hands, the creative, empowering hands of Jesus to see the work of the church continue, to see the work of the church flourish, so the work of the church, the church can be built as Jesus intended. It's all by the power of the Spirit. And if any of the fingers is, are ignored or neglected, what happens? The work of the church, the work of the body is going to be deficient. It's going to be distorted. It's not going to be quite the fullness of what God has. And so my encouragement is that as we walk forward as a church, that we say, Lord, we desire all of those things. Please help us. Please give gifts to us that, that can be, we can see the evidence of that. And the whole church can be built up into the fullness of God to fill everything in every way. Amen. So, what is your gift? What is your motivational gift? And can you trust this week in God that somehow, somewhere, you're going to come into a situation where you can trust God for something to give to somebody else by the power of the Spirit? A word of knowledge, pray for healing, prophesy over someone, even if you feel like you've got one sentence, that the body can be strengthened and grow 
into the fullness of Christ cause everything for every day. Amen. Amen. Father, please help us. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need your spirit. Lord, we can't do this on our own. Thank you for the natural giftings that we have, but Father, we ask for so much more. We ask for the power of your spirit to come. We ask for the power of your spirit to bring life. We ask that we daily walk with you. The power of the spirit would transform us and empower us that the community can be changed. I ask, Lord, for this church. I ask, Lord, for this lo- local expression. I ask for gifts of wisdom and words of knowledge and healing and faith and generosity and all those things that we looked at your word this morning. I ask, Lord, that over the year we would see them more and more evident amongst us. I pray that the, the, the members of this church would be, all of us, Lord, would be able to embark on a journey this year of learning to trust you for things to give away to others. Those manifest gifts in the moment when you just give us a word of knowledge or you give us a prophecy for someone. Lord, make us bold to speak those out, whether it's in the workplace or at school or wherever it is, that we might see your kingdom come and you're all done on earth as it is in heaven. I bless you this morning, Lord. I bless you for the ministry of your spirit. I thank you that even in the, in the worship time, you've been ministering by your spirit. I thank you that right now you're ministering by your spirit, that you're bringing us into truth. I want to say thank you, Father. I want to pray, Lord, now as we break bread, I want to thank you for the wonder of the cross, complete, perfect work of the cross in our lives, that your body was broken for us and frees us from all sin, that your blood poured out frees us from all sin and all sickness, that you took upon yourself those things that we might be free. And Jesus, we want to celebrate that this morning and say thank you for the work of the cross in our lives. And so, Lord, we come to your table and we eat and drink with grateful hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, the revelation of your grace in our lives would grow and grow and grow, that your gospel will be deeper and deeper rooted in us, that we might be a blessing to this nation and this community and our friends and our family. And I trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.